Oh, good morning. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Uh, that was kind of a comical... You know, you wonder what went through the uh, disciples' minds when he said, hey, okay, go over here, and you're going to find a donkey tied up, and uh, we'd like you just to untie that. I'd like you to untie that donkey. Just bring it to me, right? Whose donkey is it, right? It's like, am I going to commit a crime? It's just kind of a funny way of looking at that. But uh, good morning. Welcome to what we traditionally call Palm Sunday. Uh, this is when we celebrate... Uh, this is the Sunday before Good Friday, and then Good Friday, it comes Easter, and this is the day we celebrate Jesus' last entry into Jerusalem. Um, and that my name is Tony. Uh, if you don't know me, if you're online and you've joined us, I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. And today's our last uh, sermon of this series, Rock Solid, God's Immovable Love for Us. And next week, we will start a brand new series on Easter. Uh, I'm excited about that as well. Boy, we're a fickle bunch, aren't we? Come on, be honest with me. We're fickle. We change our minds a lot. We have trust issues, right? Uh, we change our minds about, you all know what a flip-flop is, right? Who doesn't know what a flip-flop is? And I don't mean something you wear in the sand on your toes. A flip-flop. A flip-flop is something where at one point in time, you stood strong for something, and then you changed your mind. You flip-flopped. You know, politicians are good at this, right? Uh, they flip-flop. And it's all over the news. You know, they go back about 10 years and say, here's what they said 10 years ago, and here's what they say today. And it's like a complete flip-flop. And I don't care what flavor of politics you have. They all do it. But a flip-flop is when you were for it, and now you're against it, right? You voted against it, but now you're voting for it. You agreed to it, and now you don't agree to it. You flip-flop. Politicians are masters at this. I think one of the most famous ones, and this has nothing to do with the political party or anything, but it was John Kerry, and he got in hot water for it because he's in a debate in 2004 and somebody asked him a question about some bill that he voted for. And he actually said in that bill, he said, he said this, I quote, he said, I actually did vote for the $87 billion before I voted against it. That's a flip-flop. And we flip-flop all the time. Politicians are great at it, but so are we. We change. We change our minds. We change our commitments. We change our vows. We change... All sorts of things that we used to be for, now we're against, or we used to be against, and now we're for. And it just seems like sometimes time changes that. There's a lot of reasons that we flip-flop. And it's easy to judge the politicians because, well, they're politicians, right? And so we judge them, and we make fun of them, and we point our fingers at them, but we all change our mind. You ever make a New Year's resolution? How's that going for you? You flip-flopped, didn't you? Anybody ever make this, like, commitment? You woke up on January 1st, and you're like, okay, I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to exercise every day. Anybody stick to that? Anybody, like, flip-flop what they were doing? How's, how's that going for you? You're a flip-flopper. You flip-flopped. You made this commitment, and then you flip-flopped. You ever commit to a diet or something like that? Or maybe you've committed to quit smoking or drinking and you just, you flip-flop. You're all about it. You're committed. You last at least a day. And then you flip-flop. 
we flip-flop all the time. We flip-flop on our condition, on our convictions. We flip-flop on our places of work. We used to love to work there, and now we hate working there. Nothing changed. We just don't like it anymore. We flip-flop on our relationships. We used to like them, but now I don't. They used to be my best friend, but now they're my worst enemy. What happened? Why did you flip-flop? Why did you love them one moment and not another? We even flip-flop on our vows, you know, and the things that we promise, and then time passes and we say, yeah, I don't want to keep that promise anymore. We flip-flop on churches. It happens. You love it, and then you don't. Why? Why are we so fickle? Why do we flip-flop a lot? Why do we change our minds? Sometimes it's normal circumstances. Things change. And we change our opinion, our convictions, and things like that. But today's story might be one of the greatest flip-flops in world history. Bigger than John Kerry's flip-flop. Bigger than any politician's flip-flop. Bigger than any flip-flop you've ever changed your mind on. Today's story might just be the greatest flip-flop in all of history. For you see, those in the street of Jerusalem today, on that Sunday, the Sunday before Passover, these people would throng around Jesus in celebration, and they would shout, crown him king. Here comes our Savior. Here comes the Son of God. Here comes the Christ, the Messiah. Let's crown him king. Hosanna! And then just a few days from today, they'll flip-flop. They'll go from wanting to crown him king to wanting to put him on a cross. They move from Hosanna to crucify him like that. Why? And what in the world does that have to do with me and how I flip-flop and how I change my mind? Well, today I'm in Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark is an interesting book. For you see, Jesus' identity has kind of been kept a secret throughout the whole book. His disciples would start to say, oh, you're the, the Christ. And then he would say, okay, now don't tell anybody. Or a demon would cry out, hey, son of God, what do you want to do with us? And he would shut the demon up and say, don't tell anybody. It was kind of a secret. But this is it. In Mark chapter 11, this is it. Jesus is now at the end of his ministry. Jesus is now moving toward Jerusalem. And the book of Mark is coming to this climax. And this secrecy around Jesus is becoming clearer and who he is and what he meant to do. Jesus has been warning them about this moment for a long time. The disciples have been ready to make Jesus king. They have decided amongst themselves and personally that Jesus is the king, the son of God, the Messiah. This is the guy we've been waiting for. But he keeps telling them, that's good, but don't tell anybody. And honestly, it's been frustrating. I mean, the things that they have seen him do, the things that they've experienced, the, the 
raising of someone from the dead, the making a lame person walk, making a blind person see, the incredible things that Jesus is doing, they are ready. This is the guy. Let's take him to Jerusalem and let's make him king. God has come through him to save us. He has to be the guy. And they want to tell the world, well, at least their friends and family, who he is. But something else is bothering them. We see it in Mark chapter 8 when Peter confesses that Jesus, you remember they're around the fire there in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? And we're getting toward the end of Mark, and this whole book of Mark, Jesus has kind of been this mystery to the disciples and to them, and finally Peter stands up and says, I know who you are. You are Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus says, oh, that's great, Peter. You are correct. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you, and you are right. I am the Son of God. But Jesus then begins to tell them, My title may not completely align with what you think my mission is. My job description might be a little bit different, Peter, than what you think. For you see, Jesus says, that's great, Peter. You know that I'm the Son of God. Now, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, this next time we go, they are going to seize me, arrest me, they are going to try me, and they are going to crucify me. (laughs) They're going to put me to death. And they're having a problem with that. As a matter of fact, Peter rebukes him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Peter. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. In other words, you are, you are tainted by your sin and your selfish ambition, Peter. What you want from me is not what God's will is. I'm telling you what God's will is. You have a trust issue, Peter. You can say with one voice, You are the Christ, but then when I tell you what the Christ is going to experience, you have a problem with it. You don't trust me. You don't believe me. So Jesus tells him that his enemies are going to kill him. And this is confusing for the disciples, because the disciples, in their mind, they have been waiting for this Messiah who's going to come and take up his army here on earth. He is going to bring the kingdom of God on earth. What does that mean? That means he's going to gather the people of Israel, God's people, right? And he's going to overthrow through violence and military might. And behind the strong arm of God, they're going to overthrow the Romans and set up God's kingdom on earth. And they will rule with God's Messiah the entire earth. This is what they thought. And so when Peter says, you are the Christ, this is what Peter was saying. Let's go to Jerusalem, let's get the the people behind you, and let's set you up as king, and let's get rid of these dirty, rotten Romans. The Jews were oppressed. They were beat down. They were weary of the Roman rule. How could this be for God's people? And how could he be the king and go to 
Jerusalem and our enemies kill him. It's supposed to be the other way around. They were ready for God through his king to wage war on Rome. They were ready for Roman blood to flow through the streets of Jerusalem. They were ready to be free. Their faith. I think I have a slide for you. Their faith in who Jesus is was tied to their hope in what Jesus would do. They believed because they hoped he would do for them what they longed for him to do. So, off they go to Jerusalem with hope, but also with caution. And here we are at today's text in Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you are, enter, and you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside of the, in the street, tied at a doorway as they untied it. Some people standing there said, Hey, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus told them to. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And we know that this was for the fulfillment of a prophecy out of the Old Testament that their king would come riding on a colt of a donkey. Verse 8, many people spread their cloaks on the road. So get this picture. Jesus is at Bethphage. He's just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. He's ready to go. Some of his disciples are there. He gets on this donkey, and they immediately know what's happening. And as they are going to Jerusalem on this two-mile trek, as, they're, as they're, he's on this colt going to Jerusalem, the people start gathering in this procession. And as the people gathered, they're throwing their cloaks. I know we don't wear cloaks, right? You could say they, they're throwing their, their coat, if you will, on the ground. While, they spread other and while others were spreading branches, they'd gone and cut palm branches. Thus, we call this Palm Sunday. Other Gospels tell us that it's palm branches. Mark does not say palm branches. He just says they spread branches that had cut from the fields, but more than likely they would have been palm branches. And they're heading into Jerusalem. Now, why throw your cloaks on the ground? I mean, cloaks are hard to come by. People didn't have very many changes of clothing. More than likely, they, everyone probably had one cloak that they would wear. And they would wear that thing until it probably fell apart, and then they would have another one made. I mean, they didn't have, like, Coles and J.C. Penney's back then, right? Clothes were not easy to come by. They didn't have 
dressers full of clothes and closets full of clothes. They had a couple of pairs of clothes and usually one cloak. This is why when Jesus was talking in the, the Sermon on the Mount, if someone comes and steals your cloak, right, give them the, the last one, you, or steal something off, give them your cloak, right? Because it's such a huge deal to get rid of it, to give it away. It's the only one you have. So why in the world were people throwing their cloaks in front of this donkey to trample on it? Throwing your cloaks on the road for the man on a donkey meant something. The people were overjoyed. The people were exuberant. The people were showing a gesture of reverence. They looked at this man on this donkey in a way that they were willing to throw their possessions on the ground and allow him to even trample on them if that's what he wished to do. They were giving him reverence. They were giving him their commitment. They were giving him their lives, if you will. It showed their willingness to give even property that he might trample on it if he so wished to do. They were so convinced that he was the one, that he was the king of kings, that he was going to deliver them from the Romans, that they were willing to give anything to him, even their cloaks. Listen, following is easy when we believe there's something in it for me. It's easy to commit. It's easy to throw something of value down if you believe that you're getting something in return. You've got to get in the minds of the people because we're going to get to the reason why they flip-flop. Right now, we're looking at their faith and their commitment to this person on a donkey named Jesus. Riding into Jerusalem, they're throwing palm branches down in this royal way as though they would do for a king coming into his city they're throwing their cloaks down as a as a gesture of reverence that he can have whatever he wants because he's the king and it's easy to to uh to believe when there's something in it for me verse 9 those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So picture this. The procession is going. People are gathering. There's more people in the front, more people behind him. They're throwing palm branches down. They're throwing cloaks down. He's trampling on the cloaks and the palm branches. And you have this bantering going back and forth. Scholars think, they think that what was really happening was this chant going back and forth from the people in the front to the people in the back. The scene is kind of like a king coming back from a war to the city. Now there would be peace. Now there would be prosperity. Now there would be the kingdom as it should be. So these scholars believe that there's this bantering, this chanting back and forth. Kind of like, if you've been to a basketball game and one side of the gym starts saying, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? Let's try it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the procession 
because, you know, I'm enough to be the procession. No, I'm taking up the rear, all right? So I'm behind Jesus, and you're going to be the procession on the front of him, and we're going to Jerusalem. I got spirit. How about you? We got spirit. Yes, we do. I got spirit. How about you? That's what I'm going to say, and then you're going to say it back. I got spirit. Yes, I do. I got spirit. How about you? Liars, you don't have any spirit at all. They believed that there was this chant going back. The people on the front, the first group would chant, Hosanna! And the people back here would chant, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And it would go back and forth. And you've got this throng of people, and all of a sudden the crowd is growing, and it's becoming a big deal. And I wonder if someone in the crowd that day thought, it's okay out here at Bethphage, out here a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, but you know what's in Jerusalem, don't you? Roman soldiers. But they don't care. This is God's king. So they continue. The word Hosanna is a tough word to translate. But in the transliteration of the Hebrew, it simply means save now. They were crying out, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why? Because he is going to save us now. It's not just a religious phrase, but now it has taken a political statement. Rome... They would not put up with sedition. Rome would not put up with this. Of some coming into the city of Jerusalem, claiming to be a king, and the people gathering and chanting, Save us now, because he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. What are they saying? God's going to do what God's going to do to you, Rome. And you can't stop it. He's going to overthrow you. He's going to kick you out. Your blood will flow through the streets of Jerusalem. I promise you this. That was their excitement. That was what they wanted. The procession goes to that next level and becomes political. What do they want? What they want is coming more into focus as Mark continues to show this story of Jesus coming in. This is the Jesus that nobody knew who he was. And those that did know who he was, Jesus would say, don't tell anybody. Now it seems like the whole world is shouting, King Jesus, King Jesus, Hosanna. Save us now, Jesus, because you are the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it becomes more into focus what the people really want. Not only are we willing to give all that we own, but now we're willing to rise up with you and overthrow the Romans. Mark chapter 11, verse 10. They go on, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. That's not good news for the Romans, right? Hosanna in the highest heaven. What the people want is revolution. They want revolution. They're tired 
of the Roman's boot in the back of their neck. They're tired of their oppression. They're tired of their taxes. They're tired of being under the rule of a, of a, a, a nation like Rome, but they wanted to be under the rule again of God. They wanted God's kingdom. And the way they saw that was to let's king crown this guy Jesus king and let's get behind him because he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, who else could do what he's doing? He must be the guy. And they go into that city that day, hoping that Jesus would take his rightful place on the throne and they would rise up with him and overthrow the kingdom of Rome. They made up their minds that he would be king and he would establish God's long, long-waited kingdom. And he would end their oppression. He would end, remove that boot of Rome from their necks. He would end their suffering. They were ready to give property, wealth, and life for this. So what happened? <laughs> their faith, and I'll say it again, their faith in who Jesus is was tied to their hope in what Jesus would do. happened something happened i mean in just about three or four days the biggest flip-flop in history takes place this throng of people this whole city shouting hosanna crown him king he is the one who comes in the name of the lord this same group of people are now crying crucify him crucify him I don't know if I've ever seen a bigger flip-flop than this one. They went from Hosanna to crucify. And we see in Mark chapter 15, we'll skip forward just a little, Pilate now has Jesus in custody. He's been arrested. And Pilate doesn't want to kill him, but the Jews, the same people crying Hosanna, are insisting. And Pilate says, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews. You said it, not me. <laughs> You're the one that said he was king, not me. You're the one that claims he's king. I saw it. I could hear it from my palace just a few days ago. I heard the crowd. I saw the palm branches. I, I saw the dust from the road. I heard the people shouting, Hosanna! He is the one who comes. Let's make him king because he's the one who comes from God. You said it, not me. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him, they said. Wow. Now, I've had some knives stuck in my back before. Not literally. Wow. Talk about a turn, a flip-flop. They shouted it, crucify him. And Pilate even says, why? What crime has he committed? Pilate's actually trying to get him off the hook. Because he didn't want his own hands to be dirty. But still, he's like, this guy hasn't done anything. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. 
you know, pastors, at least this one, worry sometimes that people are losing that Holy Week focus. And that all we do is look forward to Easter Sunday. And that we're missing the week that leads to it. There is so much for us to learn about ourselves this week. That we too are flip-floppers. There's so much from Sunday, Palm Sunday, from when we are so quick to believe, so quick to commit, so quick to give our lives to Friday, when we're standing at the cross shouting, crucify. And we think that we're not in that crowd. I could never be in that crowd. But there's a little bit of us that is. And I know what you're thinking is, what does this story have to do with us? I know what you're thinking because I think the same thing. This happened 2,000 years ago. We weren't having palm, we don't even wear cloaks anymore. I'm not going to throw my cloak out on the, you know. I don't, nobody rides a donkey anymore. I mean, they're going to come in on a Hummer, right? I mean, what's the deal with the donkey? I mean, what does this have to do with me? We're on this side of Good Friday. We're on this side of the, we know about the resurrection. So, you know. Sunday to Good Friday, let's just take it out of the church calendar. Let's just not even focus on it. We know who he is, right? Maybe. See, it's at this point in Mark that we begin to understand not just the title of Jesus, but his mission and how we fit into that mission Jesus kept it a secret because the people didn't understand the mission. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has more power and more authority than any other earthly king that's ever lived. And yet he did not use his power as they thought he would. He did not accomplish his mission through military might. Blood did not pour out in the streets of Jerusalem. Roman blood his did and the people couldn't understand this they didn't understand why jesus their king was not rising up and and like the zealots of the maccabees from 150 years before overthrowing rome why there was no war why there were no swords why were why are you just preaching love your neighbor and love your enemy (laughs) they wanted peace They wanted joy. They wanted life. And they thought the only way to get that was to see Roman blood poured out in the streets of Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, with all power and all authority, he willingly shed his blood for his enemies and his people. Jesus reveals a kingdom that will be built another way. And this is why they flip-flopped. This is why they turned their back to wait for another. He was the one, but they couldn't see it because Jesus gave them another 
way. Jesus brought revolution, but he did not bring revolution through sword and power and might and wealth and influence the way the rest of the world operates. Jesus brought revolution of love and grace and forgiveness and hope. In God's kingdom, strength is found in simplicity. Wealth is not found in how much we can accumulate, but how much we can give away. You see, generosity is the wealth of this kingdom. Power is found not in your political standing or how much decision power you have or how many votes you get. Power is found in service to one another. And they killed him for it. I like to think that we're different. I like to think that I'm different from the flip-floppers then I like to think that if I was there, I would not be that fickle, that I would not be that shallow and selfish, that I would not remain commit, that I would have remained committed to the procession to Jesus and who he was. But I know I wouldn't have. Because you see, sometimes I see the world the way the world wants me to. And it's hard because Jesus and his kingdom comes and is so counter to our culture that it's hard sometimes to see who he really is and what he wants from us. I know that we are committed to what we believe is beneficial to us. And as long as I get something from it, I'm in. I also know that we flip-flop the moment we think something isn't beneficial to us. We want to know You want to know where I see flip-flopping in us today? It's when Jesus is my personal Savior, He's my King. When Jesus is my provider, He's my King. When Jesus is my healer, He's my King. But when Jesus calls me to love my neighbor that I'm having a hard time with, then I want to crucify at least that Jesus. When Jesus calls me to love my family, not through power and authority, but to love them through service, that's when I start to question his kingship. When Jesus calls me to give my time and my talents and my treasure to the kingdom, that's when I start looking for a different king. When Jesus calls me to lay down my life for even those who are my enemies. That's when I want to crucify him again. Jesus said, or Paul said this about Jesus. I'm going to close with this. Our worship team is going to come this morning and lead us in a Philippians. Do we have Philippians on there? Yeah. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of the mind of Christ that Christ had being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used but to be to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Listen, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. If you want your life to find true joy, to find true happiness, if you want your marriages to be strong and good, if you want your relationships to be strong and good, if you want your relationships at work to be better, if you want all of this to happen in your if you're searching for a better life, listen, as Mark would tell us, the good life does not come by just simply getting what I want. The good life comes through the cross. It's through the cross and the laying down of our lives for one another that this thing works, not the other way around. And this is what the people flip-flopped on Jesus. They couldn't understand that. How could God go to the cross? How could our king go to the cross? Because it's in the cross, it's in the laying down of your life that you find life, that you find meaning and hope and joy. It's where your marriages get better. It's where your relationship with your kids get better. It's where your friendships get better. It's where everything gets better. Because when we lay down our lives for one another, that is the power of the kingdom of God. And that happens through the cross. Is he your king today? We're going to sing a new song. It's an awesome song. King of Kings. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? One. King of Kings. Two. Make him your king today. Intro. Two. Three. Four.